Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Uh, Two of the most hospitable people I know are Stu and Sherry. Uh, Some years ago, Sue and I lived in their finished basement for several months. I was working on my master's degree at the time, graduate school student. Sue was pregnant with our first child, and I was required for my degree to do an internship, and so we were traveling up to Minneapolis to do it. We didn't know where we we were going to stay during the several months of the internship, but the first weekend we were there, we attended a church, and we met Stu and Sherry, and they said, why don't you come live with us? We got a great big house, finished basement, and you know, it's free. Uh, The free part really caught my attention, and uh, so we decided, you know, that's what we would do, and they had a a lovely home right on Lake Minnetonka, if you know the area, a huge lake. Uh, In fact, the first day we were there, uh, Stu pointed to the boat keys, and he said, anytime you need a break from work, just grab the keys and take it for a spin. Had the same attitude with his car. Uh, Sue was out one day with our Ford Pinto. Remember Pintos? The cars that blew up when they were hit from the rear, kind of the bottom of the food chain. So she was out running errands with a Pinto, and I wanted to go to the gym to work out. And and Stu saw my predicament, and he tossed me the keys to his Mercedes. And I said, I can't drive your Mercedes. I'm going to get sweaty and, and stink up the car. And he said, it's just a car. And I thought, yeah, like my Pinto is just a car, right? <laughs> We were just dirt poor graduate students with a baby on the way, but Stu and Sherry gave us a home, a home, both physically and emotionally. That's hospitality, and that's the topic of our study today in God's Word. Hospitality, the lost art of hospitality. We're in the fifth week of a six-part series called Home, What Our Hearts Long For. And in the opening weeks of this series, we've taken a look at the fact that God has hardwired every one of us with a strong desire for home. You know, we want a place that is safe and secure and comfortable with people who will welcome us and love us and even show an interest in hanging out with us. Okay, now today what we're going to do is we're going to turn the tables on this longing every one of us has for home. Instead of talking more about how to gain a sense of home in our lives, we're going to talk about how to provide a sense of home to other people. Okay, how to give other people a taste of home. That's what hospitality is. We're going to look at four snapshots of hospitality in the Bible, four different passages. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 9. That's our first snapshot. If you've got an outline in front of you, you might want to take that out and fill it in as we go. There's an outline uh, on your phone app as well. Luke chapter 9, the first snapshot I want to give you of what hospitality looks like is a home-cooked meal. Okay, a home-cooked meal. So background to this story, Jesus' disciples, his 12 closest buddies, have just returned from a mission trip. Jesus sent them on a go team trip, and they've come back, and he he wants to debrief them. So his plan is to take them away to a quiet place where they can get some R&R, but it's just not to be. They go to a quiet place, but a crowd finds them, 
And Jesus takes the opportunity to teach this mass of people, 5,000 plus people. And by the end of the day, they get hungry. So we're picking it up at verse 12 of Luke chapter 9. It says, late in the afternoon, the 12 came to Jesus and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote place here. Jesus replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we've only five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd, about 5,000 men, just the men, 5,000 were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so. Everyone sat down, taking the loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. This is the word of the Lord. Wow. This is hospitality. Now, what comes to your mind when you hear that word, hospitality? Uh, Don't we think in terms of some big event that we've got planned, we're going to host in our house or in our apartment, and you plan it for some months in advance. Okay, it may be a birthday party or a holiday party. It may be a gathering to watch the Super Bowl together. Uh, You know, it, it, it may be some fling that you're doing for business associates, you know, but you, pay, you plan it many weeks in advance. Maybe you get ideas for it on Pinterest, okay? And then there got to be invitations. So you send out invites. You make an invite list, and you got family members or close friends that, that you're going to invite. And then you start planning the food. So it's chili and munchies if it's going to be the Super Bowl game, or it's, you know, if it's a backyard party, it's uh, slow cooked ribs on the patio, Uh, Or if it's really important people you're trying to impress, it's a seven-course meal that you got ideas from Martha Stewart for. All right? So this is our idea, our picture of hospitality, is it not? But that's not the sort of hospitality that the Bible promotes. I mean, take, for example, this story that we just read in Luke chapter 9. I mean, Jesus didn't have an elaborate plan for the feeding of the 5,000. You know, he hadn't gone online and come up with a plan for matching picnic blankets or, you know, uh, created a musical playlist for, over the speakers or put together games, three-legged races for the kids. It just happened pretty spontaneously. And, and there, there were no invitations. There was nothing online, nothing in the mail. It was for whoever showed up. And, and most of the people who showed up, Jesus had never met before. And food, I mean, this was a, this was a horrible problem. No, no food. You know, he's throwing a picnic, and he has no fried chicken, no potato salad, no watermelon. What is he thinking? You know, he's just got a few small dinner rolls and a couple of fish. But Jesus demonstrates for us basic hospitality, and it involves welcoming people to a simple meal. Welcoming people to a simple meal. Now, if you read through the four biographical accounts of Jesus in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll discover that Jesus spent a lot of time sharing meals with other people. Sometimes Jesus was the host, like this situation in Luke 9, feeding the the 5,000. On other occasions, somebody else was the, the host, provided the home, invited the guests. 
But as you read about it in the Gospels, it becomes obvious that though Jesus was not the official host, he was certainly the one making people feel welcome. He was the one who was making hospitality happen. Like when Matthew invited Jesus over to his home to meet his tax collector buddies, an unsavory group of characters. Or like the occasion when Jesus was invited to a wedding and the guest, uh, the host rather, ran out of, of wine at the reception and Jesus turned a bunch of H2O into Merlot. Remember that? That occasion. Or, or the time when Jesus and a huge entourage, they're, they're, they're traveling through the city of Jericho down the main street and Jesus sees a dude named Zacchaeus hanging up in a tree on a limb and he stops the whole parade and he looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. We're going to your house for dinner right now. Wow. So, so hospitality is not about throwing some big shindig with bells and whistles that people will talk about for days afterwards. Now, it's about sharing a simple meal with people in a way that makes them feel at home. It's about sharing a simple meal with people in a way that makes them feel at home. Let me give you several tips, a few suggestions here for how to make this happen. And these, you know, these tips, that's all they are. You know, if you find another way to do it, fine. But you might want to jot down these three tips to get you started if you're not started with respect to hospitality. Tip number one, just make yourself a list of potential guests. I mean, who could you invite over for a home-cooked meal? Now, not, not everybody on the list all at once, but you make a list of possibilities for future meals. Jesus has an interesting take on your guest list. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus says that when we give a dinner party, we should avoid always inviting the usual guests. You know, family members, close buds, cool people. You know, Jesus says, no, don't, do, don't invite people who will turn around and invite you to their home for a, a dinner party. Instead, invite guests who have some obvious needs in their lives, people who wouldn't or couldn't invite you over for dinner. Rosaria Butterfield, the woman in today's pre-sermon video, she used to be one of those needy people who got invited to the home of a pastor and his wife for dinner. Now, as you heard in the, in the video, Rosaria describes herself at the time she was a, a university professor she was a radical feminist. Uh, she was a lesbian living with a partner in New York, and she was writing an article to diss the Bible. She wanted to tear apart the Bible and its uh, system of morality. And so she needed some questions. She didn't know a whole lot about the Bible, and she figured if she's going to rip it apart, she needs to know something. So she got in touch with a pastor, and when she called him on the phone to ask some questions, he was wise enough to say, let's not do this over the phone. Why don't you come to our house for dinner. And that was the first of many dinners that Rosaria spent at the home of this pastor and his wife, where they became good friends until the day that Rosaria surrendered her life to Christ. So Rosaria knows what it's like to be on the receiving end of genuine hospitality, the kind that meets the deepest needs of a person's heart. She's written a book on the topic. You saw the book advertised on the video. It's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And in, in the book, this is what Rosaria writes. Hospitality is necessary whether you have cat hair on the couch or not. 
See, some of us are saying, well, our house is a mess. We got pet, you know, hair all over. And she says, it's, it's necessary because people will die of chronic loneliness sooner than they will cat hair in their soup. She says, no, know that someone is spared another spiral binge of pornography because he is instead playing connect four with you or walking your dogs or jumping on the trampoline. No, know that someone is spared the fear and darkness of depression because she's needed at your house. No, know that someone is drawn into Christ's love because the Bible reading that comes at the close of your meal includes everyone. Do you sense the, the inclusiveness that's, that's at the heart of the way in which Rosaria practices hospitality? It's not, hospitality is not about wowing cool people. Hospitality is about welcoming ordinary people who are struggling with, with whatever. Now, some of these ordinary people, they may be neighbors. You know, especially think in terms of neighbors who just moved into the neighborhood and don't know anybody. Or think of neighbors on your block who you know are going through some kind of a crisis, out of work, health problem, whatever. Think of that neighbor that lives by themselves. Think of the neighbor that's got three preschoolers and would love a meal that they didn't have to cook. So over the past few years, Sue and I uh, have been collecting canned goods for the local food pantry from our neighbors. We do this three or four times a year. And so it's enabled us to, to get to know everybody on our block by name. And we realize our next step is to make a guest list. Who are we going to have over for dinner? Now, a number of the people have been in our home already for dinner, but, you know, we need to make the list to figure out who's next. Who's next? Here are some other people to consider for your potential guest list. And they're not necessarily desperately needy people. They're just people who would enjoy a welcome from you. You know, single people. You know, if you've got a family, would enjoy an evening with a family, perhaps. Immigrants who you work with or go to school with and for whom American culture is something new and, and novel and would love to be invited to the home of an American family. You know, what about friends at school? Some of your buddies who you know come from homes where things are kind of, uh, you know, home is a bit of a battlefield. What about elderly people who don't have the opportunity to get out much? Uh, my, my mom and dad, just this last year, they moved into an assisted living facility that's about a mile away from where Sue and I live, so we have them over regularly for a meal. And two weeks ago, it occurred to us to invite their friends to come with us. So some neighbors across the hall at the assisted living came with, with them, and we had a great night together, Sue and me and four people in their 80s and 90s, made us feel really young by the, you know, by the end of the evening. And I think they all had a really good time. So first tip, make a list of potential guests. Okay, tip number two, establish a routine. Again, as I've been thinking about this, it seems like a, a next step for Sue and me to make hospitality happen because our, our invitations to come and enjoy a home-cooked meal, they need to be extended with greater regularity. See, the fact is, friends, the, the less often we practice hospitality, the more likely it is to fall off the radar entirely. 
You know, Sue and I can go two or three months without inviting anybody over for a home-cooked meal other than family members and close friends. I read two or three really great books on the topic of hospitality in preparation for this sermon because this is a topic I really wanted to drill down into. And, and all the authors who are experts in hospitality, they all agree. You've got to do this with consistency. In fact, most of them suggest you set aside one night a week when you're determined to make this happen. A night every week. So it becomes a regular part of your schedule. You call it neighbor night. Or, or you call it Taco Tuesday or whatever. You come up with a really simple meal plan and a, last, a list of guests to invite. And each week you pick off a few more from your list. Now, some of your guests, i got to warn you, they're going to need like a two or three week advance notice. They will. You know, if you ask them last minute, they're going to be busy. But, but other guests, you can, you can ask at the very last minute, very spontaneously. And they'll say, six o'clock tonight? Sure, we got nothing on the calendar. We'll be there. One of my friends on staff, he was telling me a, a week or so ago, he said he and his wife practice soup night every week. He said there's something about soup. You can expand it at the last minute. So spontaneously, you invite a guest from school, from work, whatever, come on over, and if there, there are, are, are more mouths to feed than you expected, you just add some water to the soup, right? You just make it stretch a little bit. Here, here's the third tip. Chill out. Chill out. Karen Maines has written a classic book on hospitality. It, it was first published over 40 years ago, but it's still in print. You could still get it on Amazon. It's called Open Heart, Open Home. And Karen says that she learned about hospitality from her mom and dad who lived by the motto, listen to this, hospitality before pride. Hospitality before pride. And what Karen's parents meant by that is that we should be inviting people into our homes not to impress them, but to make them feel welcome and wanted. So, Karen says in her book, you, you don't focus on the menu. Who cares? You don't focus on having a spotless house. You don't focus on the table setting. The focus should be on the guests and making the guests the center of attention. Rosaria Butterfield, in that book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. I love this. She says that one of the ways she makes her guests feel welcome is by asking them to pitch in. Now, now this is a woman who is an expert in hospitality. Her house has got a revolving door on it. Listen to what she writes. She says, if you come to my house for dinner and notice that I'm still teaching a math lesson to a child and my laundry remains on the dining room table unfolded, you roll up your sleeves and fold my laundry or set the table or load the dishwasher or feed the dog. Radically ordinary hospitality means hosts are not embarrassed to receive help. And guests know that their help is needed. I read that and I thought, that is so chill. You know, and we'd all, we'd all probably practice a little more home-cooked meal hospitality if, if we stopped making it into such a big production. Friends, it doesn't require a perfect home, doesn't require a perfect meal, doesn't require perfect ambiance. All it takes is inviting us is for us to invite people to something really simple and we say, hey, come as you are. Come as you are. A footnote to this third tip to chill out. 
I read a really interesting survey recently. Couldn't believe it. According to this survey, 40% of millennials say that, that they don't eat breakfast cereal because they don't want to have to wash the bowl. <laughs> don't want to do dishes. So forget breakfast cereal, right? So, some of us are like that. We don't want to cook. We don't want to do dishes. And so hospitality is never going to happen in our home. And I say to you, pick up a pizza or Chinese for your guests and eat on paper plates and make it happen. It could still happen. You don't have to like to cook. You don't have to like to do dishes to make hospitality happen. So picture number one, a home-cooked meal. Picture number two, a need-meeting gift. Turn to Matthew 25. That's our second passage. Matthew 25, a need-meeting gift. While you're finding Matthew 25, a story about my friend who is one of our zone leaders at uh, the St. Charles campus. By the way, a huge shout out to those of you who are zone leaders across our four campuses. You are doing a fabulous job of making people feel welcome at our services every week. Thank you so much. So not a, not a week... Not a week goes by that I don't hear a zone story of someone being cared for by a zone leader. So there's nine zones at the St. Charles campus, multiple zones at other campuses. You're sitting in a zone right now, whether you, you realized it or not. So my friend, the zone leader, swings by my house the other day. I'm working outside on my, my day off, and he comes by in his brand new red pickup truck. Now, this was a company-owned pickup truck till uh, a few weeks ago, but as his bonus at year-end, the company, because he does such a great job, gave him the pickup truck. That was his, his bonus. But he was bringing it by not to show off his new red pickup truck to me, but to tell me about the pickup truck's maiden voyage. He said, the coolest thing happened. I just get this truck given to me personally. And I get word of a bed that somebody has donated. So I pick up the bed in my new pickup truck and I drive it over to the apartments that are a block away from where I live. And I drop it off with a single mom there who has hardly a stick of furniture in her apartment. Now what he's telling me is that he just helped this, this woman make her apartment a home. Friends, that's the gift of hospitality. Hospitality is a need-meeting gift. And my friend was more excited to tell me about what he could do with his pickup truck than to show off his new red pickup truck. And this is what Matthew 25 is all about. It's about a need-meeting gift. Okay, begin at the, uh, ver verse 31, Jesus is telling a parable. He says, when the Son of Man, speaking of himself, when he comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Now listen to this. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. If you know the rest of the, the story here, the people say to Jesus, when did we ever do that to you? And he said, whenever you did it to the least of my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. So this, this passage describes a unique way in which we can offer hospitality to others. 
When we give people a need-meeting gift, we provide them with a little piece of home. When we give people a need-meeting gift, we provide them with a little piece of home. Whether it's food to eat, or water to drink, or we give them a temporary roof over their head like Stu and Sherry did for Sue and me years ago, or clothes to wear, or we visit the sick. When was the last time you offered this kind of hospitality to somebody in need? Let me remind you of a a significant way that you can do this between now and and the end of the year. Uh, Christ Community Church is raising money to drill wells in Sierra Leone, West Africa. Uh, Sierra Leone has been one of our international impact partners for years. It's it's a country with a, a real problem with clean water, not having enough clean water. In fact, over 80% of the diseases that people die from in Sierra Leone can be traced to a lack of water, clean water. And so we're going to drill wells there. Say, well, how many wells are we going to drill? Well, it all depends on how generous we are as a church across our four campuses between now and December 31st. So let let me tell you what our goal is, okay? Okay. First of all, our year-end gift this year, 70% of our over and above, not our regular tithes and offerings, but our over and above gifts are going to go to well drilling. Here's what our goal is. Our goal, it's pretty outrageous, is to come up with $500,000, half a million dollars given at year-end, over and above our regular offering. So if 70% of that is given to wells, that gives us three hundred and fifty. dollars thousand dollars to spend on wells what does a well cost well we've learned that a well costs about twenty thousand dollars now if that sounds like a lot of money to you let me just say that it includes not just the drilling of the well it includes all the equipment that goes with it it includes training people to maintain the well so five years from now ten years from now the well still works it includes sanitation sanitary uh, teaching and so on twenty thousand dollars per well three hundred fifty thousand dollars raised that means over 17 wells in that part of sierra leone now Shadanke, our partner in Sierra Leone, tells us that that region of his country, those wells would service 100,000 people. And 80% of them are Muslim. And Shadanke emphasized to us that when you share the love of Jesus in this practical, tangible way with people, they want to know more about your Savior and King. And he estimates we can start 250 churches in that region. So if we give $500,000 and, and drill 17-plus wells and service 100,000 people, we're going to see a lot of people come to know Jesus. This is a form of hospitality. By the way, there is an envelope near you right now that is a year-end gift envelope. If you're in St. Charles, it's in the, the seat back pocket ahead of you. If you're at one of the other campuses, it's at the zone table. At the back of your zone, there's a table. You could pick up an envelope and give over and above between now and the end of the year. And by the way, this is, let me continue to reiterate, this is an over and above gift. 
You know, it's not a shell game where we take what we typically give to the church in general and we move it someplace else because that would kill us. That would kill our ministry in St. Charles and DeKalb and Streamwood and, and Aurora where we're offering living water, right? Spiritual water to people in our communities every week. So we don't want to take away from our regular programs and ministry and whatever to make this happen. This is a time to be super generous. You get it? Good. Good. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7. He says to the Corinthians, you guys excel at everything. You're good at everything. Now, excel at the grace of giving. And that's my word to you. You guys are wonderful in so many ways as a church. Now let's show how wonderful we are when it comes to giving. Here's a third picture. Third picture of hospitality. I call it a question asking interest. A question asking interest. My wife is so good at this. I want you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 20. Okay, Proverbs chapter 20. Sue and I were at a really big gathering uh, recently we were mingling with a number of people who were there from Christ Community Church and the next day I got texts from three different people thanking me. Now now, what I was uh, chagrined to learn as I read their texts, they were not thanking me for something I had done, they were thanking me for my wife. Okay, and I get that a lot. And uh, they were thanking me specifically for the fact that at this gathering, this big party, Sue had gone out of her way to make them feel welcome, to make them feel valued. And I thought, you know, that is what Sue does so well. One dad texted me, and he said, I was there with my 20-something-year-old son. And he was like the only single person there. He was the only person there in his 20s. And your wife made a beeline for him and engaged him in conversation and drew him out. And I want to say to you, this is a form of hospitality. What Sue does so well is she makes other people feel welcome with themselves and with her, at home with themselves and with her. Now, I want to read to you my favorite, one of my favorite Proverbs. This is Proverbs 20, verse 5. It says, the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. Isn't this a, a beautiful picture here? The writer of Proverbs says, people are like deep wells. So we got to drop a bucket, a bucket of good questions down into them in order to draw them out. Do you do this with other people? Do, do you show a question asking interest in others? You know, th this is really important, especially if you hope one day to share Jesus with people. You know, someone has said, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. In other words, people aren't going to be interested in what you have to say about Jesus until you show a caring interest in them. And you do that by drawing them out with good questions. Rosaria Butterfield, again in her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, she says that this gives us, this question asking interest gives us a street credibility with neighbors and friends who aren't yet Christ followers. Listen to what she says. She says, hospitality allows you to listen, to listen, to keep secrets, to be a safe friend, to speak a word of grace into dark places. Now, your words can only be as strong as your relationships. So the best weapon is an open door, a set table, a fresh pot of coffee, and a box of Kleenex for the tears that may spill. And the Apostle Paul says something similar in 1 Corinthians 12, 
verses 25 and, and 26, he instructs us to show our concern for other people by grieving with those who, who grieve and rejoicing with those who rejoice. Now, Paul's advice there assumes that we know what people are grieving about, what they are rejoicing over. And how could you possibly know that without asking good questions, questions that draw them out? A question asking interest. By the way, this uh, form of hospitality is not strictly for extroverts, okay? If you're thinking, well, I'm an introvert, I'm, you know... I'm just not wired this way to invite people over to my home and engage them in meaningful conversation. I, you know, I'm an introvert. Well, sorry, the Bible doesn't give you a pass on this one. You know, God's word doesn't say, show a question asking interest in others unless you're an introvert, then you're off the hook. In fact, let me say that some of the best question asking conversationalists I know are introverts. And some of the people who need to do a better job of showing interest in others and not just airing their own stuff are extroverts. Okay, so you got to be careful not to make it an introvert-extrovert thing. And just a practical application here before we move on to the final picture of hospitality. If we want to practice a question asking interest in others, then having them into our homes for a meal is not the only venue for this sort of hospitality. You know, what are some other settings in which we could make this happen? Well, have you ever thought about being a community group leader? You know, or becoming an apprentice so that you could become a community group leader because that's a major part of their job. In 300 and some community groups spread across our four campuses to draw people out, not just voice their own opinions, but to hear what other people have to say and contribute to the group. Have you ever thought about signing up to be a Kids Hope mentor? It's one of the ministries we work with. You give one hour a week and we pair you up with a grade school child who is desperate for an adult to take an interest in their life. And you go to the school during that hour and you just hang out with that child. You play games or help with homework or do whatever. Have you ever thought about signing up to be a volunteer at a homeless shelter or a crisis pregnancy center or a retirement community that we partner with here at Christ Community Church? Ever thought about going on a go team trip where you could draw out others with, uh, with good questions who are from a totally different culture? So by the way, if you want to find out about these sorts of opportunities that I'm describing, you just go anytime you want to cclife.org forward slash simply serve. And you find out the places where you can practice this gift of hospitality. You get it? Good. Number four, fourth picture. A gospel-oriented invitation. And I want you to turn to Luke chapter 14. A gospel-oriented invitation. A good friend of mine invited me to a ball game at Wrigley Field this summer. He happens to be a member of the American 1914 Club. You ever heard of that? Okay, Wrigley Field was founded in 1914. And so recently they remodeled the park and they built an underground bunker between first base and third base that is a really classy restaurant. And uh, if you are a member of the 1914 club, you get to go there every time you go, go to a game. And so my friend had 
multiple tickets for, he's a season ticket holder uh, for the 1914 club. The other thing you get, not, not only this restaurant with as much food and a variety of food, anything you could want, they will cook up for you, but you, you, you park in, a, in an exclusive parking lot, you get picked up by a golf cart and dropped off at the door and you don't wait in line. It's a special VIP door, so you go right in and you eat all you can eat, and then you go and you sit in a box seat, the closest seat in years, decades of going to Wrigley Field, closest seat I've ever had. I was closer to the batter than the pitcher was. Yeah, this is amazing. And during, you know, the breaks between innings, you go back into the restaurant bunker and you get yourself desserts. You fill up on desserts. I mean, there's even a five-star men's room in the place. It's just, it's just amazing. So my friend was telling me again this past week, we were talking about it, rehashing our visit to Wrigley together, and he said, you know, the greatest joy I get out of it is not just going to the game myself, it's inviting a friend like you to come along. And every, every game I get to invite three friends to do this with me. And I thought, wow, if you're a Cubs fan, and why wouldn't you be a Cubs fan if you're, if you're, if you're not? If you're a Cubs fan, isn't this just an incredible privilege, not only to have this membership yourself, but to bring other people with you? Well, I'm going to tell you, if you're a Christ follower, you belong to an even more exclusive club, phenomenal, spectacular club, because the minute you surrendered your life to Jesus, you got an eternal home in the deal, and what's more, God gives you the privilege of inviting anybody you want to come along with you. So now, you surrender to Christ, just to review something you hear often from me. What that means is that at one point in your life, you realized that you'd been going your way instead of God's way. That was your regular routine. You didn't check in to see what God wanted for your life, and if you had, you wouldn't walk in obedience to it anyway. And, and unfortunately, when you go your way instead of God's way, you disconnect from the one who's the source of life. And the Bible says the consequence of that is death, that we've all We've all earned the wages of our sin, and the wages is death. It's spiritual death. It starts on the inside, a separation from God. It becomes physical death at the end of this life. It becomes eternal death in the world to come. But God loves us so much. And this is what we celebrate at Christmas time. He sent his son to become one of us so that his son could act as our representative. He could take on the penalty we deserve to pay. The penalty was death. Jesus died on the cross. His life being of infinite worth now covers the sin of everyone who will surrender their lives to him. When you surrender to Jesus, you get forgiveness. You get new life. You get eternal life in a home with God. God. Friends, ultimately, the reason we practice hospitality is because we've experienced hospitality, incredible hospitality at the hand of God, who came after us when we had wandered far from him and said, I want you home. I want you home. So Jesus tells a parable in Luke 14 about the day when we will finally go to our eternal home. But before that day comes... A day that will be launched with a, a banquet, a reception. We have an opportunity to invite other people to go along with us. This is the ultimate show of hospitality, if you would. So pick up the story at verse uh, 21 of Luke chapter 14. 
So this king is giving a, a banquet and he sends his servant out to invite people to come. Again, this is a picture of inviting people to come to heaven. It says the servant came back, verse 21, and he reported this to his master. You know, and what he reported was that not, nobody wanted to come. You know, he went out with the initial invitations and he extended them and people came up with lame excuses why they didn't want to come. So he, he reports this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there, there's still room. And then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and just compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. So yeah, there are going to be people who turn down the servant, Jesus says. So keep on asking, keep on inviting. See, those of us who are Christ followers, we are the servant in Jesus' parable. God is throwing a big banquet. He is opening the doors of his eternal kingdom, his eternal home. And you and I are the ones who get to invite others to come. Again, th this is the ultimate form of hospitality, inviting others to join us in God's forever home. So practically speaking, how do we do it? Well, we share the gospel, the good news about Jesus with other people. You know, this is a gospel-oriented invitation. How do you do that? Well, in many cases, it's simply telling your own story. You know, this is how I came to the point in my life where I surrendered my life to Christ. I try to work that in as often as I can with people. You know, say it was when I was a freshman in college that God got a hold of my life and I decided to sur surrender my life to Jesus and I give them a little bit of the background and say things have never been the same since. Or it's giving them one of those little God's good news booklets that we keep on our information counter and we say stock up on them and give them away. Or it's giving someone a gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John and say, hey, have you ever read a short bio of Jesus? I told you several weeks ago, I went online, bought 50 copies of the gospel of Mark, been giving them out to people, gave one to the furnace repair guy last week. You know, hey, this is a great book, changed my life, an excerpt from that book. This is the Gospel of Mark, all about Jesus. And he said, wow, thanks, I'll read it. It's inviting people to a Christmas Eve service where they're going to hear the good news about Jesus in clarity and be encouraged to put their hope and trust in him. In fact, in just a moment, we're going to close our services and do something special. We're going to take a few minutes to pray for people we'd like to invite to Christmas Eve. Now, every form of hospitality that we've talked about today, every form is really important. You start with a home-cooked meal, make your guest list, and start having people over. You move to a need-meeting gift. You participate in this Wells thing in Sierra Leone this year-end. It's a question-asking interest. You start practicing drawing others out, but it's most importantly a gospel-oriented invitation. So I'm going to ask at our other campuses for their worship leaders to come up on stage right now, after which their pastors are going to lead them in prayer for people they'd like to invite to Christmas Eve services, and I'll be doing that very thing here in St. Charles. Are you ready to pray? Good.